roll and I'll just feel something. Welcome to Rackhouse Ramblings Podcast. I'm Jeff, your host. Here I like to talk about bourbon and anything related to it. Sometimes I talk about life experiences. Sometimes I talk about adventures I've had. Sometimes I just talk about things I'm interested in. But you know what? Every time I talk from the heart. I'm a firefighter. I'm a craftsman. I'm an avid outdoors person, and I'm a lover of all things handcrafted. Thanks for taking time to listen. I'll do my best to make it worth your while. Rackhouse Ramblings is on the air. All right, this is episode 48. I have got a bunch of stuff to talk about. What a week I've had. Uh, before I get into the new stuff, let's talk about some old stuff. I had a couple of listeners contact me, more than a couple of uh, contact me uh, about uh, Rackhouse Rambling swag. I still got a few left. So drop me a text, drop me a comment on my Instagram, reach out to me, and I will get some to you. And I also want to issue an apology. That's right. Three of my favorite listeners, Sailor, River, and Riley, all pointed out to me I had some bad language on the last show, and I want to apologize. Sorry, girls. I uh, know you guys love listening to the show. I'll try and clean it up a little bit and uh, do better. So uh, Sailor, River, and Riley, I'm sorry. That's for you guys. Also, uh, what else do we got here? You know what? Let's get uh, right into the bourbon-related stuff. Last week when I was at Total Wine & More, I bought some Evan Williams eggnog. Pretty cool, huh? Tis the season and all that. It's Evan Williams Original Southern Eggnog. It is 30 proof, made with straight bourbon whiskey, blended with rum, brandy, and whiskey. Huh. So being a Heaven Hill product, they have access to all that. It says real eggnog blended with Evan Williams straight bourbon whiskey and other fine spirits, then finished with holiday spices for this original Southern style holiday cocktail. Comes from Bardstown, Kentucky. And uh, what else does it say here? Shake well, refrigerate after opening. It contains milk and egg. Pretty cool. Ready to serve, chill, and enjoy. So let's do that for you guys before you get started here. There we go. Once again, no sound effects are added. That is real eggnog you guys are hearing. It is thick. Boy, is it thick. Whew. Hmm. It is really good. It's got a little kick to it. You can definitely taste the uh, the alcohol in it. <laughs> but it is rich and creamy, really good. So I asked myself, you know, would you guys be interested or do you want to know or anything like that about eggnog? So I said, what the heck? I'm going to jump right in. I went over to Wikipedia and wanted to learn about eggnog. So I am going to pass it on to you guys. According to Wikipedia, eggnog historically also known as milk punch or holiday sludge when alcohol beverages uh, are added. Huh. It's rich, chilled, sweetened dairy-based beverage. It's traditionally made with milk, cream, sugar, whipped egg whites, and egg yolks. And that gives it the frost, frothy texture and its name. You can add uh, brandy, rum, whiskey, or bourbon. They're often key ingredients. Throughout Canada and the U.S., eggnog is traditionally consumed over the Christmas season from late October until, uh, of course, the end of holiday season. A variety called Ponche Creme has been made and consumed in Venezuela and Trinidad since the 1900s. Oh, I didn't know that. Also as part of the Christmas season. Hmm. During that time, commercially prepared eggnog is sold in grocery stores in these countries. Good to know. Eggnog is also homemade 
milk, egg, sugar, and other flavorings served with cinnamon or nutmeg. While eggnog is often served chilled, in some cases it's warmed, particularly on cold days. Similar uh, to mulled wine, it says. Eggnog or eggnog flavoring may also be used in other drinks like uh, coffee, tea, or uh, to dessert, such as egg custard puddings. Then it says for the origins of eggnog, let's see what we have here. Excuse me for the paperwork. But let's see what we have here. The origins and the ingredients used to make original eggnog drinks are debated. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, nog was a kind of strong beer brewed in East Anglia. Don't know where that is. The first known use of the word nog was in 1693. Alternatively, nog may stem from noggin, a Middle English term for a small carved wooden mug used to serve alcohol. However, the British drink was also called an egg flip from the practice of flipping or rapid pouring, flipping the mixture between two pitchers to mix it. One dictionary lists the word eggnog as being an Americanism invented in 1765 to 1775. Then hmm. it also says Babson College professor Frederick Douglas Opie wrote that the term is a combination of two colonial slang words. Sorry about that, guys. Let's get rid of that. Slang words. Where did I leave off here? <clears throat> uh, rum was referred to as grog, and bartenders served it in small wooden mugs called noggins. The first, the drink first became known as egg and grog, and later as egg nog. Ben Zimmer, executive editor for Vocabulary.com, disputes the egg and grog theory as lacking proof. And Zimmer states that the term nog may be related to the Scottish term nug or nugged ale, meaning ale warmed with a hot poker. Hmm. The online etymology dictionary states that the term eggnog is an American term introduced in 1775 consisting of the words egg and nog, with nog meaning strong ale. The first example of the term eggnog was in 1775, one Maryland clergyman and philologist, pardon me, Jonathan Boucher, wrote a poem about the drink, which was not published until 30 years after his death. Fog drams, I the morn, or better still, eggnog. Huh. That was a quote from his poem, I guess. The first printed use of the term appeared in the New Jersey Journal, March 26, 1788, which referred to a young man drinking a glass of eggnog. An 1869 dictionary entry for eggnog defines it as a mixture of wine, spirits, eggs, and sugar. No mention of dairy. Hmm. That's probably more than you ever wanted to know about eggnog. But wait, we're going to go further. While culinary historians debate its exact lineage, most agree eggnog originated from the early medieval Brit British drink called passe, passet, which was made with hot milk that was curdled with wine or ale and flavored with spices. In the Middle Ages, passet was used as a cold and flu remedy. Passet was popular from medieval times to the 19th century. Eggs were added to some recipes. Uh, by the 13th century, monks were known to drink a passet with eggs and figs. A 17th century recipe used a heated mixture of cream, whole cinnamon, mace, nutmeg, 18 egg yolks, 8 egg whites, and 1 pint of sack wine, fortified wine related to sherry. At the end, sugar... Ambergris and animal musk are stirred in. Hmm. Served in 200 pots. Interesting. Eggnog is not only mixed, sweetened, not the only mixed sweetened alcohol drink associated with the winter season, mall wine also.
Now it also goes on to say, dun 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 dun, how to make your own. You guys know I love making stuff. So here we go. Traditional homemade eggnog is made of milk, cream, sugar, raw eggs, one or more alcoholic spirits, spices, often vanilla or nutmeg, um, and some cloves. Some recipes call for the eggs to be separated so that the whites can be whipped until they're thick. This gives the drink a frothy texture. American Food Show presenter Alton Brown points out that based on its ingredients, eggnog is almost identical to ice cream. No wonder everyone likes it. And it is technically just a stirred custard made of milk and egg. Wouldn't you know, that's probably, I bet you that's why we all like it. It's really just melted ice cream, right? Homemade recipes may use vanilla ice cream blended into the beverage, particularly when the goal is to create a chilled drink. Some recipes call for condensed milk or evaporated milk. Huh, pretty good. Uh, there are variations, different recipes. Uh, eggnog has significant fat content due to the use of cream and high sugar content. There you go. Well, I guess that's more than we ever, ever, ever want to know about eggnog. So we're going to taste some. With that being said, uh, you guys should get yourself some or make some. I happen to buy the Evan Williams bottle from uh, Total Wine and More. Pretty good shit. Oh, pretty good stuff. Sorry, Sailor Riley. And oh boy, I'm in trouble now. I have a wreck house ramblings. We'll be right back, you guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay right there. was uh oops i did it again by britney spears so i played that for a reason i did it again that that song choice was heavily influenced by ann and russ two of my biggest listeners so i was tearing up some carpet and i was using a stanley utility knife and you guessed it i cut myself i buried that damn blade so far into my left forearm Whew. it was pretty scary <laughs> it was bleeding pretty significant i drove myself over to my favorite level three emergency room canton beaumont or Beaumont Canton, I should say. Um, and for a few hours, it was kind of touch and go. The cut was so deep, it would not stop bleeding. The um, The doctor's first impression was that I hit an artery or vein. I was pretty sure it wasn't an artery because it wasn't squirting. But man, it was definitely, definitely pumping. It was, put it this way, when I covered, I like put my hand over it. The blood was just flowing right through my fingers. It looked like red paint coming right through. I thought, oh shit. <laughs> Sorry, girls. In the in the emergency room, the doctor came over. He took a look and then recovered the wound with gauze and put on a dressing. And then he asked what hospital I prefer. And I'm like, what? And he, he was thinking I'd have to go for vascular surgery and uh, I'd be getting shipped out of there. So I thought, man, I really screwed up. So uh, I said, you know, how about Beaumont Royal Oak? And he calls over there. That was kind of my preference. And uh, he got on the phone with a vascular uh, surgeon. And the, the other doctor advised him, hey, do a CAT scan first uh, to see if it's arterial or not. And if it's not arterial, I can stay there. They'll sew me up. If it is arterial, they're going to package me up and send me over to uh, see a vascular surgeon. I thought, oh, crap. So anyway, we did the CAT scan, found out it was not arterial because <laughs> there is no way on God's green earth I, that I'm going to ride in an ambulance. I told uh, Lori, my nurse, that. I said, if, if that happens, I'm going to leave AMA. 
<laughs> I'm going to walk out the door and drive myself. Well, ended up sticking around for a few hours, got five big monster sutures and uh, was sent home. And it was a long night. I hate taking pain. I don't take any of that pain medication stuff really ever. Um, I woke up the next day and my forearm was starting to swell. And I thought, oh, you know, it's just from, from the trauma. Um, but by lunchtime, I had to take like a handful of ibuprofen. I cut this Norco in half, had to have that. Um, was able to get some sleep that night. And then Sunday morning, I woke up and oh, crap. My arm looked terrible. It was really swollen. It was really red. It was creeping all the way down to my elbow. So I ran into the emergency department again, showed the doctor, and she said it was infected. Ugh, it was disgusting looking. Um, it was swollen so big that you couldn't even see the, the sutures anymore. Like my skin had kind of uh, swollen around the sutures. So they threw uh, some IV antibiotics and then she uh, cut out couple of the sutures the stitches were ready to pop they hurt so bad so she cut them out squeezed out some pus put me on a stronger antibiotic and by the afternoon everything was better I stopped back in Monday morning she cut out another stitch because it was still pretty swollen but felt so much better looked so much better so I'm on the road to recovery uh <laughs> say a prayer for me I, I'm, I'm uh gonna be uh, <laughs> uh, uh, having a mad, nasty scar on my arm. So anyway, I did it again. Stay right there. Rackhouse Rambling to be back. Thought you guys would want to stay right there. Happy holiday. You know, that that eggnog is really, really good. Really, I'm going to have another glass of that. So Rackhouse Rambling is back, episode 48. Last week, I participated in a program our fire department puts on every year. It's called Shop with a Firefighter. Shout out to all the guys that were there. Uh, Bill and uh, Jeremy and oh, who else was there? Mike and uh, Russ and just everyone. There's quite a few of us. Um the program, what the program is, we get to shop with local kids at Meyer, and I cannot say enough good things about Meyer. They provide a one hundred dollar gift card for each kid. There were thirty of them, each kid that came out, and uh, so we get to walk around with them, go to the toy aisle, uh, pick out toys, um, go through the whole thing, and um, all the kids are in need of some help, and all of them were chosen by their grade school counselors. Um, I know the kids were so happy to get free toys and stuff, but I can tell you what, um, I think I was even more happy to help out. It's so much fun. I try and do it every year. Uh, Ann wasn't able to go this year. I was on duty, so I headed on over there, dragged the crew, my crew of guys over there with me. Mike and Anthony did a great job. I was able to do it twice and shop with a couple of kids, and it was so much, so much fun. Um, not only are the kids financially uh, unfortunate, but some of them also have learning disabilities, and I was able to spend a couple, uh, some time with uh, two young kids, uh, two young men, and both of them had a little bit of a disability, but you know what? Uh, it didn't matter when it came to shopping for toys. We had a lot, a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I'll tell you what, that giving is way better than receiving. It really is, and um, thank you, all the guys, for showing up. Uh, and helping out with this. It was so great to see uh, 
Uh, oh, you know what, too? Some of the, the firefighters, they bring their kids with them. So I want to say hi to Jaden, one of my big listeners. Sailor, River, Riley, you guys again. Uh, and the Valenti boys, TJ and Anthony. Oh, and you know, I almost forgot. Um, Adrian, too. All you guys are growing up so fast, especially you, TJ. <laughs> uh, if you guys get the chance, please, please, please be generous this holiday season. Um, giving money, is, it's common... Uh, very simple to do, but if you can, give your time. Uh, to me, time is the most valuable thing, the most valuable asset we have, and please give some of it. Um, most of you think uh, I'm pushing you to volunteer, but that's not always the case. Sometimes it's as easy as a phone call, someone you haven't talked to in a while, a relative, someone that's older, maybe even someone that's younger. But um, just call them to say hello, ask how they're doing, and then listen. Uh there's something to be said uh, for being a good listener. So it's really that simple. Happy holidays from Rackhouse Rambling. Stay right there. I got more coming your way. episode 48 i got some more stuff to talk about i want to thank all you guys my listeners for uh supporting my buddy dutch gordon on instagram isn't he cool for those of you that started following him he has some of the best pictures i have ever seen he really does dutch.gordon on instagram check him out so he uh sent me a message was really excited uh could not believe the overwhelming response you guys are so great. I really appreciate it. He's in Minnesota this week. If you notice his postings, he'll say he's in Minnesota and he is on a mission to get pictures of owls in the snow with the white background. And man, he is knocking it out of the park. You guys, I liked every one of his photos. They're unbelievable. So I can't thank you guys enough. You guys are great. So let's talk about something new and interesting. Last podcast, I told you I got a topic for you. Um, it's called Folsom Points. Now what it is, Folsom Points are stone projectile points from the prehistoric period. Think of um, arrowheads, you know, like you find when you're out in a farm field that's just been overturned with dirt, like Indian arrowheads made from stone, right? So there's a specific one called a Folsom point. And um, I went to Wikipedia to look to it. You know, the reason I'm talking about this was because of a uh, podcast I listened to called Bear Grease. And they were mentioning Folsom Points. They were in Folsom, Arizona and all this sort of thing. So I thought you guys would be interested and might want to hear something about it. I zipped over to Wikipedia. And Folsom Points are a distinct, this is from Wikipedia now, are a distinct form of napped stone. Where napping is where you chip it down to the size that you want. It says a distinct form of napped stone projectile points associated with the Folsom tradition of North America. The style of toolmaking was named after the Folsom site located in Folsom, New Mexico, where the first sample was found by George McJunkin, we'll talk about him later, within the bone structure of a bison, an animal hunted by the Folsom people. So what happened was this guy, George McJunkin, found a Folsom point arrowhead. And back then, he just thought it was an arrowhead, right? They didn't name it a Folsom point. This is in 1908. Um, but... This uh, arrowhead was lodged between the ribs of an ancient uh, bison called Bison Antiquitous, I think it was called. 
And so they were able to date the Folsom point by the actual bones. And that's when they found it. It was a prehistoric. So nobody really knew any of this. So after George McJunkin died, you know, years later, he kept trying to get people out. He was just a cowboy that found it in a field, but uh, he was writing to different places to see if someone would come out and do a dig. And no one did till after he was dead. And then they realized the significance of this finding. So um, the Folsom point was identified as a unique style projectile point in 1926. So Wikipedia has this part called description. It says the points are bifacially worked. That means on two sides of it and have a symmetrical leaf-like shape with a concave base and wide shallow grooves running almost the entire length of the point. The edges are finely worked. The characteristic groove known as fluting may have served to aid hafting to a wood shaft, which means being able to join it to a wood shaft. They would take this piece of stone, put it on the end of a wood shaft like an arrow, like a, a to make an arrow, and they would wrap it using the tendons from an animal called sinew. The tendons would be like the uh, stretchy things on the back of the uh, legs of animals, bison or deer or what have you. It's called sinew. You'd wet it, wrap it around, and when it dries, it dries. Uh, uh, it shrinks when it dries. So it is kind of like a natu natural string that they would use. The fluting required great technical ability to affect. And it took archaeologists many years of experimentation to replicate it. This point is thought to be the pinnacle of the fluting technology. The flute was made by creating a nipple form platform at the center of the base. The remnants of the nipple may be present on completed examples. So this Folsom point was a really specific type of arrowhead and showed that somebody had some skill. Somebody had some uh, brain power behind it. Uh, what else do they have here? Folsom points are find, found widely across North America and are dated to the period between 9500 and 8000 BC. The discovery of these artifacts in the early 20th century raised questions about when the first humans arrived in North America. The prevailing idea of a time depth of about 3000 years was clearly mistaken. So this means that there were people in the Americas, especially North America, uh, at least 8,000 or 9,000 BC. They used to think it was 3,000. So this was like a huge find in the archaeology world. In 1932, an even earlier study of projectile point was found uh, called the Clovis Point, dating back to 11,500. Clovis points have been found in association with mammoth skeletons. Wow. So what else does it say? Um, the Wikipedia mentioned something called the Folsom Tradition. And back in the article, so I kind of looked up Folsom tradition. And what it says is the Folsom complex is a paleo-Indian archaeological culture that occupied much of central North America from 8,500 B.C. to 4,000 B.C. The term was first used in 1927 by the Colorado Museum of Natural History. Numerous paleo-Indian cultures occupied North America, with some restricted to the Great Plains and Great Lakes of the modern United States and Canada as well as adjacent areas to the west and south. The Folsom tradition was characterized by the use of Folsom points as projectile tips and activities known from kill sites where slaughtering and butchering of bison took place and Folsom tools were left behind. Some kill sites exhibit evidence of up to 50 bison being killed, although the Folsom diet apparently included mountain sheep, marmots, deer, and cottontail rabbit as well. The Folsom Hansen site in Wyoming also revealed areas of hard standing which indicate possible dwellings. And the type site is Folsom Site near Folsom, New Mexico, a marsh side kill site found in 1908 by George McJunkin. 
Oh, they talk about George McJunkin. Here you go. Uh, he is a cowboy and former slave. He is African-American who lived in Texas as a child. He was a amateur archaeologist and found this. And uh, what else does it say? Uh, for some complex, uh, it's thought to have been derived from earlier Clovis culture. So there you have it. More than probably you guys ever want to know. If you really want to dig into the Folsom points, um, go on Google, type in Folsom, F-O-L-S-O-M points, P-O-I-N-T-S, and you will be very uh, blown away. I was. Um, I could probably talk for quite a while on all this paleo Indian stuff and all that, but I won't. I'll leave it right there for now. So um, what else do I have for you guys? I think that might be it. might be a short show for this week. So I will be back next week. We'll do one more episode before Christmas. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I did. I'll be back next time with more stuff to talk about. Rackhouse Ramblings episode 28 is out. Uh, drink responsibly. Please don't drink and drive. See you guys. Bye.